Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. In this episode, we're going to talk about 20 questions you should ask yourself to change your drinking. My guest is Deb Maisner. She's the founder of The Alcohol Tipping Point, a place to find free resources, tools, and tips to help you change your drinking. Deb runs 30-day dry months where she helps people practice not drinking She's a registered nurse, a certified health and wellness coach, a smart recovery facilitator, and an alcohol-free badass. I wanted to bring Deb on and talk about this topic because I think that a lot of women, when you're thinking about not drinking, are asking yourself the wrong question. I've heard so many stories where people kind of Google, am I an alcoholic? And they take the quiz online. And they're like, Ooh, I came up with, you know, 10 of X number of answers. So, you know, here's what the quiz spit out. And you guys know that I don't use the term alcoholic to describe myself or anyone else. If you use it, awesome. That's great. I don't think it's required, but I do think that that 
mental framework of, am I this bad? Am I in this category? And if not, I don't need to stop drinking or I don't want to, or I'll wait till I get to that point is really setting you up to deny yourself feeling the benefits of living alcohol-free earlier. So Deb and I are going to talk about, let's ditch those questions that are on the, am I an alcoholic quiz? And let's add some new questions that you can journal about and think about and apply to your own life. All right, Deb, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Casey. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about your background, but what made you come up with these questions or sort of use them as part of your work? Well, I, like you said, I'm a registered nurse and a health coach. So I've had a lot of the training and motivational interviewing and whatnot. And so what I found is just, if we can ask better questions, we'll get better results. And and like you were saying in your intro, usually when you're changing your drinking, it become you're focused on the problem because it becomes like, do I have a drinking problem? Why can't I quit drinking? Why can't I change my drinking? Am I an alcoholic? And all of those questions are really focusing on the problem and not the solution. So when you can train your brain to be a better thinker and start asking better questions, um, and, and we're talking about like questions that aren't just like yes, no questions, like asking how, um, asking why, asking what, those kinds of things that can just help you find better answers. Because yeah. our brain likes to solve problems. It likes to solve, like it wants to put the puzzle pieces together. It likes to have answers. It want, It doesn't matter what it is. So focusing on better questions is key. Well, and I feel like it's that process of curiosity and introspection and like, really honest self-reflection that is a lot of time missing. Like you said, the, the brain likes answers. I know that I'm a really busy person. I'm a list person. I want to cross things off my list and put things into boxes, like has to be dealt with this week, has to be dealt with this month, not urgent. And it's, you know, one of the reasons I love coaching is it is very rare for a lot of women to ever sit down and take an hour or 30 minutes or whatever to think about how they're feeling, not what they're doing, you know, what's going on beneath. I'm stressed. I'm busy. um, I'm pissed off at my husband. I'm overwhelmed, you know, whatever it is. And really think about like what's going on in their lives and, and what, what are they doing and what's not working and what do they want to improve? And I feel like this list of questions really helps with that. When you were talking about yourself, one thing I thought was super interesting is, is obviously you're a registered nurse. And I've found from talking with lots and lots of women that often in the medical community, they also are trained in the framework of either you're, you know, they, alcoholic is not a medical term. Nobody, you know, it is alcohol use disorder with mild, moderate, or severe, but they're also often in the mindset of, oh, it doesn't sound like you have a severe, you know, alcohol use disorder, you know, or you do. So a lot of doctors will say, yeah, just cut back, 
or that sounds okay. And none of us tell, say truly how much we're drinking, or at least I didn't, I gave the like super standard, you know, you fill out the form. Do you drink how much? And I'm like, eh, two to three glasses a couple times a week, right? Which was blatantly untrue. And then doctors will be like, okay, you should try AA or just cut back or I think you're okay, right? And you're a nurse and you're looking at it a different way. Did you see that in the medical community too? Well, yeah, definitely. I think that there is not a lot of addiction training and it's not a typical question that's it may be like on your intake form, how much alcohol are you yeah. drinking? Or sometimes it's simple as do you drink or not? Yes, no. And that's it. And and it never really goes into more detail. And I mean, you're right. We don't put a lot of focus on drinking and the effects of alcohol in our medical community, not as much as we should. We do it with tobacco, um, like I have to do a tobacco assessment on our health screening patients. Oh, you're we, kidding. Like if they yes. say they smoke, there is something you have to do. Yeah. We're very targeted. And do you smoke or not? And are you a former smoker or whatnot? And I'm in preventative health. That's the kind of nursing I do right now. And we ask nothing about alcohol use. Wow. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. So, but I had the same experience where it was either you're, you need to cut it back on your drinking or you need to go to detox. And so if you fell in the range of, of just drinking too much, like that you gray okay. area, you're okay. Yeah, the, so I do feel like we could definitely do a better job in our medical system with how we treat drinking. Yeah. And I've had, I've had multiple clients tell me that they have finally, you know, gotten up the courage to talk to their doctors and say, I'm worried about my drinking. I'm drinking more than I want to and have been dismissed. Like, oh, don't worry about it. Keep an eye on it. Cut back. It doesn't sound that bad. And that is so hard because we know as people who worried about our drinking, like the degree to which how difficult that is. And then I've also like now knowing what I know now, because previously I never knew this, like for, a, I was in like complete oblivious about alcohol's impacts and effects, and then sort of worried about it, but not fully clear. I would think anyone who goes into their doctor, which are so many women and say, I have so much anxiety. I have insomnia. I'm waking up at 3am every day. My first question now would be, how much are you drinking, honestly? And even if they say not too much, just be like, hey, I just want you to be aware that alcohol, you know, it, when you drink, maybe rarely, like give them an out, you know, if you're waking up at 3am and you're drinking at all, that's usually it, you know, why don't you try a period of time without it? Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48, so if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. 
It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Yeah, I I agree. I just think that we don't see the gray area drinkers in in the medical community. We see, we, we get people who are detoxing. So in the ER, actually, one of my first jobs was at the VA. And I worked on the medical surgical unit. And I worked in we would detox veterans. Um, Those would be part of our patient panel. And so we did have those situations. I mean, I remember heavily drinking, being super hungover and doing an intake on a detox patient and go and asking them all these withdrawal questions. And like my hand was shaking and I was anxious, but I wasn't in a hospital. I had a job as an RN I ha- was married. Were you worried at that point? Yeah, that was back in 2004. I didn't stop until 2020. Oh my I God. had years of it. So yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I don't think that's unusual. I have to say like in terms of the private clients I work with, I have multiple doctors, I have multiple nurses, I have CEOs of hospitals. So like, it is not, I mean, everyone in every industry drinks a lot in our society. It's so Mm -hmm. normalized. And even no matter what you do for work, you know, if you're worried about your drinking, it takes a long time to come to terms with it. And also a long time to like, you know, a lot of people who work with people, you know, in the addiction field do that. Well, I'm not as bad as them. Right. So clearly, I mean, A, we don't want to stop drinking. We just want to get a handle on it. But we're like, sometimes that can be less helpful, you know, because you've got this stark comparison. Yeah. And I think the other point I like to make about drinking and the medical community is that we, especially since I work in preventative health and wellness, so we are all about like catching pre-diabetes and pre-hypertension and Uh, We're looking at your cholesterol and we're about targeting your moderate to low risk before you get high risk, before you have a heart attack or in the hospital. We do not do that with drinking. Drinking with alcohol, you don't get medical treatment until you're rock bottom and until you show up in the ER and you've overdosed or until you need to go, till you have to go. It's no longer a choice to change your drinking, but you have to, yeah. and you have to go get medically detoxed. So I, that's partly why. I'm- First, I would say that like your patients and the people you work with are so lucky to have you there. 
with this knowledge, right? Because you can obviously sort of start incorporating that or educating people where you work about like, hey, this alcohol use disorder or drinking, you know, obviously has all these negative health impacts. We can catch that early too and educate people a bit about it. Like aside from where you work, what do you think could even be done to like introduce this conversation into the medical community? Like, hey, we screen for pre-diabetes and we screen for pre and post impacts of smoking. How about we also screen for like, hey, if people are drinking more than they should, which is almost everyone, like let's screen for like how we can help them stay healthy. Yeah, well, I think education, so more, more training, more knowledge, being more cognitive of doing those screenings of taking the time. I mean, right now our medical system's kind of broken. <laughs> you you know, it's still it's still a business and it's still like you only have, you know, if you're a primary care doc, you're a family doctor, you only have so much time with your patients for the wellness visits. So it just it's it's difficult, but I think if there was more education around um, the different options for treating over drinking and then the different option medication options. I mean, you can get a prescription for naltrexone, which will help with cravings. And you could get that from your regular doctor. You don't have to go to an addiction specialist. So just things like that, I think would go a long way. And I think now too, more and more research and evidence is coming out about the harmful effects of alcohol. So the, oh the World Health All Organization, the yeah. So there's more research backing that it is damaging. I think yeah. for a long time, the medical community was really promoting moderation. And so I think the tides are turning, especially yeah. in heart care and cancer care and yeah. those kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, there's that study everybody cites that like moderate drinkers are healthier than non-drinkers, which by the way, is totally bullshit and was sponsored by alcohol companies and has been disproven yeah. a million times. And we can go into that separately. And also like, hopefully as people listen to your podcast and they listen to my podcast and they read the studies and more and more people are talking about this, we're educating the patients. We're educating the larger community about like, Hey, ask about this, or, you know, maybe doctors and nurses are listening to this podcast and also are learning more because, you know, it's it's really important. The most recent sort of scary study that I read was that in 2020, the percent increase of alcohol-related deaths went up by something like 20%, whereas the typical year-on-year -year increase is like 2.5%. I mean, that is frightening. And I believe that was for women specifically. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely... It's a, a health concern for sure. I mean, you don't have to have a problem with drinking to have issues with alcohol, basically. No. I mean, it, in the same way that it's smoking, right? Like, it's so similar in terms of the heart disease risk, the cancer risk, the if, you know, if you smoke at all, it's an issue. Obviously, if you smoke a pack a day, it's more of an issue, right? But, mm -hmm. you know, just do it knowing the risk. Okay, we need to dive into the questions, I know. <laughs> but the last thing I wanted to say, yeah. because 
I, I find it so interesting talking to you because you are in the medical field, you have stopped drinking, you are a coach, and you're in preventative medicine. So I can't help myself. But in, in mentioning this, so I got contacted. I don't actually, I don't care if they listen to this or not. I got contacted to someone in, in PR pitching a guest to me, which is not that unusual. But the guest they were trying to pitch to me was the CEO of this sort of nonprofit, quote unquote, called responsibility.org. And one of my big pet peeves is the way alcohol companies push that message of drink responsibly, which in my mind is sort of a cover your ass um, way of putting the impetus on the individual for the, all the harmful effects of alcohol, which are, are shocking um, when you look at domestic violence and car accidents, as well as the, the physical effects and everything else um, on the individual, not on the substance, right? Like nobody says smoke responsibly. There is our warnings all over the packaging. And so this person was like, hey, would love to have you in interview this CEO. He, you know, this organization does so much good work in trying to prevent drunk driving and young drinking and blah, blah, blah. And I went on their website and went to the About Us and like literally every single person on their board and every single funder and donator was big, big alcohol. I mean, spirits companies, beer companies, wine companies, lobbying firms. And so I went back and I was like, hey, it looks like this organization is basically created for and by the alcohol industry. What do you have to say about that? And he was like, oh, no, we do work around responsible drinking XYZ. So have not totally decided if I'm going to have him on the podcast. It would definitely probably be a different interview than he's expecting or wanting. Um, but when you said that, like doctors preach moderation, I mean, a lot of, you know, the research into the impacts of alcohol has actually and funding has been stopped in Congress by these lobbying organizations who donate, who don't want you to know and who don't want alcohol to have to put on that packaging stuff. Absolutely. I mean, it's big money. It's it's a business. And they want to keep their customers and they want to put the blame on the person and not the product. Yeah. So may dive into this as well is stop asking yourselves the questions that big marketing, big alcohol, and everyone else wants you to ask. And those questions are, am I an alcoholic, aka in this category where I'm losing my job, I'm losing my family, I can't function, my hands are shaking, whatever it is. And instead, ask yourselves these questions that Deb and I are going to talk about. So do you want to kick us off, Deb? Well, I think one of the number one questions is just how would your life improve if you removed alcohol? So really getting honest about is your life better without alcohol? And if you don't know that, then take a break and see. That's like my most simple question. And if it's better without it, then there's your answer. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety, and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. 
I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. Yeah. And I know that there are a whole bunch of other questions sort of that roll up under that one. How would your life improve without alcohol? Because some of the ones you've shared with me are, you know, really digging into what are the benefits of drinking? What are the benefits of not drinking? The negative effects of drinking, the negative effects of not drinking, those all roll up into how would your life improve if you removed alcohol? But I know that when I was drinking, I didn't think my life, I mean, would improve at all. Or I was like, okay, yes, it would be cool to like lose weight and not have hangovers. And yeah, I, maybe I thought those were the only two <laughs> benefits to not drinking what remembering the shows I watch at night and not pretending I remember conversations with my husband, that might be too. But like, I thought that the negative effects of not drinking literally were, I will never have fun again. Like, so it is, there is so much bias that we have that we've like bought into this concept for so long and we have so much fear around not drinking. So like the reason I like this question as well as like, I know you're going to talk about the cost benefit analysis is please, if you're listening to this, take the time to go beyond. I won't be hungover. That's good. But my life will suck that's bad, right? Do So Deb, will you go into how you dig in further to that? Yeah. So the cost benefit analysis, it sounds like we're running a business, <laughs> but this is actually a tool from Smart Recovery. Um, and like you said, I am a certified Smart Recovery facilitator, but basically it's weighing the pros and cons of either drinking or not drinking. So it's getting more detailed. And it's, you know, I always recommend that people write these things down. So just like when you're doing a math problem, unless you're Rain Man, it's hard to do it in your head, right? So there is something very helpful about the physical act of of writing things down instead of keeping them in your head. So with all these questions, I always recommend writing them out. So the cost benefit analysis is basically like you can take a piece of paper and just divide it into four grids. And you're going to really dig in, like you said, and specifically ask yourself, like, what are the benefits of drinking? And list all those out. 
And for most people, there's a buzz, there's, you know, relaxation, um, less anxiety, calmness or whatnot. Like, and just be honest. I mean, we wouldn't drink if we didn't get something out of it, right? But when you do those benefits, those are actually your list of things you need to find a replacement for. So if you're like, oh, it's I'm drinking to relax, to feel more calm, to have fun. Well, that's where you can look at your list of drinking reasons and find other ways to get to that feeling. And then same of when you're looking at the costs of drinking, that's where you really want to get honest about like, oh, well, there's weight gain. I have more anxiety. I'm not sleeping as well. I'm getting in more fights. My work is shitty. You know, I'm I'm not taking care of my kids, myself. Maybe you have actual health consequences. Your blood pressure is high. Just list all of those down. And it's just helpful to really be honest and be like, wow, like, would I pay for something like this? Like to have all these negative consequences in my life? Probably not. And even when we're still in the thick of drinking, we can name some costs of drinking and some of the negative side effects. Yeah. And one thing you said that I thought was awesome is listing the things that why the benefits of drinking, which by the way, I could debate whether it actually reduces anxiety and, you know, all that kind of, of stuff. Of course. You right. know, it's a yeah. depressant and a stimulant, but you're right. Like, what do you think the benefits are of drinking? What's it giving you and actually using that list to figure out what are options for replacements, right? Like I talk about sober treats, but like, okay, it mm-hmm. helps me relax literally arrow to a bullet list of six things that might also help you relax. It helps me celebrate. All right, let's bullet out six things that could often help you celebrate. I actually yesterday was talking to a client of mine who, you know, just finished up. She's a music teacher, this huge, you know, concert at school, her biggest thing of the year that always signaled basically getting through the year, right? It was the big finale. And she was like, oh, I always go out with my family and my husband to this amazing steak restaurant. And I'm just picturing this amazing red wine and I'm picturing this vodka tonic and she's doing great in not drinking and feeling a million times better. So she's like, well, I'll just have my favorite seltzer in line and I'll get a dessert and XYZ. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, and tell my husband I'm not drinking and I'll text you before and after. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Good job. Way to think ahead. But also, how about completely shifting that reward? Like, how about at the end of the concert, taking the day off the next day or the weekend after? How about planning a, you know, a spa day where you go to one of those spas that have like the hot steam room and the dry steam room and get a foot massage or whatever it is or go have breakfast by yourself in a, you know, a beautiful place or go for a hike. Like, you know, I'm all for like, keep the ritual, change the ingredients, but you don't have to just do that. You can actually change the ritual. And then every year after your big concert, have this huge, awesome celebration of meat day. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You need to replace whatever benefit you were whatever perceived benefit you got from drinking in some way, like we, we all need some more joy in our life. So definitely 
using that list to find other ways of achieving those same goals. Can I ask you real quick, sorry, when you did that cost benefit analysis, what came up for you when you were stopping drinking? For which part? I didn't even go through all four yet. Oh my gosh. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. This well, is because so I feel like we kind of do pros and cons, but, yeah. but there's also, so those were like just the benefits of drinking and the costs of drinking. But then on the, the, the other two squares are the benefits of not drinking and the costs of not drinking. Um, So it's getting you just to dig a little bit further. So like the benefits of not drinking, maybe something like um, accomplishing your goals, feeling more confidence, feeling proud of yourself, um, sleeping better, being able to get up in the morning and do things, having better work performance, better relationships, like all of those kinds of things. And then the costs of not drinking, those are other areas that maybe are more related to like your quote unquote trigger. So maybe for you, the perceived costs of not drinking might be change relationships with your friends, not fitting in. This is the one that I have a hard time coming up with, Casey, because I'm like, well, what's negative about not drinking? But I, you know, it is. I think like it could be not participating in social rituals or not participating in, for example, like things that are the, uh, here's what I think of. Like, for example, you know, when I went to Venice, there were certainly sort of wine tours, right? Or, places Mm -hmm. where you go out to the wineries as an option. Now, in that case, I opted for canal tours, or I opted for I took a walking photography tour, or, you know, did a pub crawl of all the gelato shops with my eight year old, right, you can substitute. But I always recommend like, if there is an activity that is completely and totally centered around alcohol, why torture yourself if you don't drink? Now is the time to try something that doesn't involve that at all. So, you know, the, the, you know, the negative effects of not drinking, like, yeah, probably not going to go on the wine tasting weekend. That's, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Those are, I mean, those are good for you because they're going to kind of tell you, like, what are parts of not drinking that are, are triggering for you and what can you do instead? Um, and a lot of it is again, like perceive, it seems like FOMO, it seems like you're missing out, but FOMO goes the other way too. Like, yeah, you might miss out on a night at a bachelorette party, but you're not going to miss, you know, the next morning where you're so hungover and can't function the next day and whatnot. So the, the whole point of the cost benefit analysis is just to really ask yourself the, all these and and ask them in different ways, these questions about benefits of drinking, benefits of not drinking, and then costs of drinking, costs of not drinking. And some people recommend doing one of those cost-benefit analysis every day for the first 30 days. Mm. And maybe even getting really specific, like before you go to a wedding, let's say you have a wedding to go to, and just really writing it all out. And I think you will find that the benefits of not drinking outweigh 
the reverse, basically. Yeah. I mean, I love that. And, you know, journaling, especially in early sobriety, is a really good tool to sort of document the small moments of joy and, you know, how uh, much better your face looks without being all puffy and your eyes aren't watery, but also like, this was hard and here's what felt difficult. So you can compare that right to other things. And I've definitely had women in early sobriety say, you know, I was really bummed out because I wanted to have a glass of wine or let's be honest, a bottle at a really fancy restaurant. But the next morning, my girlfriend who drank canceled going on this epic hike in Hawaii that, you know, was one of the best experiences ever, you know, so that is a very clear cost benefit. So if you're listening to this, I always like to encourage people to actually take action, not to just like, be like, okay, good, good thought. So, you know, I am going to have all of Deb's questions in the show notes to this episode. And this sort of exercise, what what Deb's talking about, or as I'm looking at them, sort of the first six, um, the first six questions that you put into this. So I really encourage you like, get out a piece of paper, draw those four quadrants and actually do this, like just carve out 15 minutes after this and, you know, put it in your purse or put it in your journal somewhere where you'll see it again. But like, as you're listening to this stuff, like, take the time, you know, you're taking the time to listen to this, take the time to actually do the activity. Yeah, I agree. Like, get it out of your head, stop thinking about it and get it down onto paper. Yeah. So what's next? What's after the cost benefit? So those are kind of what I call like awareness questions. And then I have a couple questions that are more about like when you're in it. So they're more about cravings. So when you are having a craving to drink, really get honest with yourself about what discomfort you're feeling at that moment. So describe in detail, like what is uncomfortable about wanting to drink? Like, are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling um, hungry? Are you feeling nervous? Like what is going on in your body as you're feeling this craving to drink? Yeah. Yeah. And do you have recommendations of you know, once you are aware of that, what people can do to work through those cravings? Or is this just the questions to change your drinking, just noticing what's in your body, what's in your mind? Well, that's one step. You know, like I said, awareness is key. So with cravings, with discomfort, you can either basically distract yourself or you can sit with it. So one is like going towards it and one is going away. So in the early days when you are first quitting drinking or changing your drinking or whatnot, usually distraction works better. So the distraction ideas are like eating. Eating is a huge one that I bring up because (laughs) with my nursing background too, just like when your blood sugar is low, you're more likely to have cravings. Heavy drinkers have chronically low blood sugar anyway. So definitely make sure that you're eating, um, get out of your head and into your body. So if that means like splashing cold water on your face or doing jumping jacks or taking a walk, like do it, 
phoning a friend, um, talking to someone, getting on like sober Instagram, writing it out, just something else, removing yourself from the situation or the environment that you're in. Chewing gum is really helpful or brushing your teeth can help with cravings. So, so those are kind of distraction cravings. And then when you get better at um, your mindfulness with cravings and your awareness around cravings, you can learn more to sit with cravings because a craving is a feeling and no feeling lasts. So we know that it will go away. It feels like it won't, feels like it's going to kill you, but all feelings are temporary. And, and so that is comforting and that takes practice. And so sometimes doing mindfulness activities, listening to a guided meditation can help you ride out the craving and get to the other side. And, you know, two things that, that I wanted to ask you about, um, the, the last piece is obviously, you know, cravings definitely are feelings and you can write it out, but as a nurse, do you want to kind of talk about, you know, if you are physically addicted, that going cold turkey without medical supervision can be super dangerous. I don't think either of us were in that category, but will you just, since you, you know about that detox and you've talked about it, will you talk a bit about like who might need medically supervised detox? Right. Um, That's a good question. I mean, people don't realize that detoxing from alcohol, um, can actually lead to death. You can detox from heroin and not be in danger from death as much as you are with alcohol. Part of the reason is because your neurotransmitters are so out of whack, your blood sugar is out of whack, your systems are out of whack. (laughs) That's my medical term, whack. Uh, So you do have a higher risk for seizures, fever, uh, so the warning signs of of going through withdrawal and when you need to go to the ER would be if you obviously starting to seize, if you have a high fever, if you have a really high heart rate, um, it can be confusing for people because it's similar to having a hangover. So there can be, of course, the vomiting and nausea. There can be the shakes, the tremors, um, the anxiety, that kind of thing. So it's typically a more someone who's on the severe side of the alcohol use disorder spectrum. And they have found like in the percentage of heavy drinkers uh, that even within that percentage, that there's like five to 10% that would need to be medically detoxed. So when we're talking about medically detoxing someone, that's making sure that you can, you're safely withdrawing from alcohol. And honestly, what we did when I worked at the VA, um, as part of the detox unit was give people Librium, which is an anti-anxiety med. Mm. And so what I, if you were going to recommend supplements, like one of the supplements that is helpful for alcohol withdrawal is GABA, which oh, is a neurotransmitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it's actually something that is found like in Valium and other anti-anxiety meds, but that's what we give higher doses of um, anti-anxiety meds to someone when they're medically withdrawing as well as if needed, like IV fluids and whatnot. It just depends, uh, how far along they are. 
Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I did a podcast episode with Jolene Park about gray area drinking, but she mm -hmm. really, you know, has done a bunch of research and I believe it's her field of expertise around um, working with those, those pieces of your body. So GABA serotonin, and she's got some Mm -hmm. sort of natural ways to, or advice of how to regulate that. So that I'll link that one in the show notes too. Um, in case anyone wants to listen to that in thinking about stopping drinking and GABA. So anyway, just wanted to go through that because I mean, everyone knows that I'm a huge proponent of like stopping drinking, taking a hundred day break, um, going through sort of, you're going to want to drink, you're going to go through withdrawal the first two weeks, but definitely, I mean, you probably know in some way if you're worried about needing a medical detox or withdrawal. So, um, you know, in that piece, definitely consult your doctor, but not the one that tells you not to worry about it. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't want to scare people, but I do feel like I have to put on my RN medical hat and just be like, hey, this is no joke. This is a call to 911 or go to ER. Um, Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it, or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings, or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. And by the way, that is a clear sign that you are poisoning your body and that alcohol is really not good for you and you would be better served without it. Just, um, yeah, determine what you need to do to do it in a safe way. The other thing you mentioned that I, that I thought was really interesting is I agree whenever you want to drink, like my first question I ask people is, are you hungry? Cause hunger is yeah. a trigger and low blood sugar definitely is a huge trigger of cravings. 
But you also said that people who drink too much sort of chronically have low blood sugar. And could you talk about that a little bit? Well, part of it is because you're not eating regularly and not, I mean, you're a lot of people replace food with alcohol. And so you end up having uh, lower blood sugar because you're not eating regularly. The other thing is a lot of the times what you're drinking, so red wine, beer, even if you're a mixed alcohol, mixed drinks, drinker, um, those have sugar. And so, yes, those raise your blood sugar initially, but then they overall lower it. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. good, good to know. And, you know, this is completely anecdotal and from my own experience and just talking to lots and lots of women, but I know that, um, definitely for me, I was always trying to lose weight because obviously I gained a lot of weight drinking and it's very hard to lose weight while drinking alcohol. And so I would, you know, very, you know, I, I used to log my food back in the day and it would literally be like salmon and asparagus for dinner, six glasses of wine, which is ridiculous. But I'd be like, oh, I'm still in my calories. Um, and I'm very anti-diet culture now. This was when I was um, much younger and less educated about what diets do. But, you know, I, I agree with you in terms of like not eating enough and then triggering the craving to drinking and then drinking a lot, right? If you're hungry, um, it's a lot easier to be like, dude, I just want to drink and I don't have the ability to kind of ride that out. Oh, absolutely. Well, the other thing that happens when you drink, when you're first like ingesting, uh, the alcohol is your body stops metabolizing everything else and it goes, to, it, it changes to detoxing basically. It changes to metabolizing the alcohol. And so that's what your liver is focused on, your kidneys, um, everything's put on hold. So it, it does not, <laughs> does not do you any favors as far as losing weight or digestion or hormone regulation or anything like that. So yeah, cool. Well, I know we're, we're doing the 20 questions, but I am completely taking the opportunity to leverage your experience yeah. as a preventative health nurse. So thank you for that. But let's keep going. Okay, so so the discomfort during a craving really like identifying that. And then what you want to identify is the discomfort you have after a night of drinking. So really describing that physical feeling of, of being hungover, of being anxious, of having a queasy stomach. Um, and then you want to look at those two questions about craving that night when you're experiencing the craving and then the next day after a night of drinking. And you want to ask yourself, would, what would you rather have? Like, would you rather have that temporary discomfort when you're not acting on a craving or the post-drink discomfort the next day, how you feel the next day? Um, and just considering like which lasts longer and which is more painful. Yeah, I think that's great. That's really, that's really important. I mean, I used to say that drinking would, you know, I thought it made my life better for about two to three hours a day, which is come home from work, open the bottle of wine, you know, feel the effects, start to get all giddy, have a party on my couch. And then for the other 
21 to 22 hours of every day, it would make it worse. Meaning poor sleep, waking up with a 3am anxiety, racing heart, bloodshot eyes, feeling irritable, craving, debating. So when you talk about which discomfort is longer, meaning like temporary discomfort or craving versus those 21 hours, you know, of making my life more painful, I you know, I kind of knew it at the time, but I would think that writing it out and really documenting it and documenting like the next day, how I felt all day would be really enlightening. Yeah. It's a really powerful question. It, I mean, it's just like, oh, well, duh. I, I guess I would choose. <laughs> I would choose like the two hours of discomfort over the 22 hours of yeah. Like and that crap. two hours of discomfort doesn't last that long. It's really your first week, two weeks, three weeks where those cravings will, you know, last a number of hours and be difficult. It really gets during even those first three weeks, significantly shorter, not every day, all that kind of stuff as you build new tools. But that's not to say that, that we think it's easy once you jot it down on paper. I mean, I was worried about my drinking for a full 10 years before I actually was able to stop completely for the last time. And, and Deb, you mentioned that, you know, you had the shaking hand. When was it like a long time before you finally stopped? Yeah. So that was 2004. You know, I'd, I would take breaks when I was out of college. I was like, well, I'll just take a month long break and then reset. And of course, I don't have a problem. And I did that for years, but I still like there was still, like I said, when I worked as a nurse detoxing patients, there was still like a little voice in my head, like, Deb, you, you're, you could answer these. Like you're just as bad, if not worse. And then, yeah, so years years I thought about drinking. I tried to moderate for years. I <laughs> was looking for that magic pill to be a quote unquote normal drinker. Um yeah. Until I finally got it. No, yeah, not so that it's gonna take to you this all. and you're like, I'm jotting all this down and reading it and believing it and yet not stopping. Like we get it. We know it's not easy, yeah. but it's definitely worth it. So you, you know, keep adding supports, keep listening, keep working at it. Because at some point, every one of us who stopped long term has had a last day one, and we don't know when that was. And I'm, I'm so glad you pointed that out, too. I mean, that is why I do what I do. Like, I want to help people. I want to give you some tools, just like you, Casey, like I just, here's another tool. Like, throw this into the mix. Try this. Maybe that question didn't resonate with you, but maybe this other one will. Or maybe that group isn't for you, but this one is or whatever. Yeah, in the same way that like, some people love walking and that works for them and other people love CrossFit and some people like, you know, love acrobatics. I have a friend who does all this trapeze shit. I am scared of heights. That would never work for me. But like, if one tool isn't helping you, one approach, one mindset, that doesn't mean that something else won't work. Just keep figuring out like you like group classes, you like individual workouts, you like lifting yeah. weights, you like running. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're so unique. 
Well, I feel like this next question is good because it kind of talks about more of your life. And so it's how is drinking in line with your values and vision? So what you want in your life, like what are your values? Is family your values? Is uh, friendship, love, caring? Like what are your top values? And where does drinking fit in with that? Yeah, I do a lot of core values work with women I work with. And it's my favorite because if you can align being alcohol-free with your core values, once you boil them down to like, what really is it? Um, 95% of the time, drinking is actually out of alignment with what you actually want to achieve in life and is preventing you from really having that. But, you know, I love the values question. It's not that easy to do, but you can certainly, you know, it, in my mind, you know, one of my goals in life was to have a really strong, loving family. And one thing I always pictured was I want my kids to come home from college or after college and like sit at our kitchen table and tell me all their awesome stories and like want to hang out with me and want to talk with me. Well, me continuing drinking a bottle plus of wine every night from when my child is eight till my child is 18, completely out of alignment with fostering that desire. Like I actually wondered if when Hank was 18, he'd want to bring his friends home at 9 p.m. If my, because we know drinking doesn't get better, it only gets worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when I look at that goal for my life and that value, yeah, are my kids going to want to come home and chat with me from college because we have this awesome relationship if I keep drinking? The answer is no. Yeah. Well, same if like you're wanting to move up the career ladder. I mean, drinking's not going to help you do that. I mean, or if you want to have kids or if you're trying to get pregnant or if you're looking to improve your relationship or your marriage, drinking, it doesn't add to it. So that I really like that question too about values, Casey. Another question is when you think about not drinking, does it give you a sense of deep contentment or rightness? Like, how does it feel when you think about living alcohol free? Does that feel good? Yeah, I think that's a good one. And also, I it's okay if you're kind of deep in it and don't know anyone who doesn't drink and that how you feel when you think about living alcohol free, if that makes you scared, you know, because mm-hmm. I think there's such a misrepresentation of what life is without alcohol. And I hope if you're listening to this, that that's starting to shift. So it is not a life of, you know, longing and deprivation and denial. It really isn't. But if you're thinking that right now, like, that's okay. Just, just know it's not true. And if you're in to shift that, um, start thinking about bike rides and picnics and, you know, all the good stuff, waking up Sunday mornings, Van Morrison, whatever it is. Yeah. And I guess when I think about like, I, it was easier for me to almost reframe that to like, I, I just want to be alcohol free as in 
I don't want to think about alcohol anymore. I don't want to think about drinking anymore. I just want this out of my life. Yeah. And that would be freedom to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it absorbs so much of our mind space and energy and heart space and worry and shitty self-talk. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, that's like alcohol freedom, like get this out. And then along those lines, how is drinking affecting my overall happiness? And just getting honest, right? Yeah. Yeah. For me, I mean, I woke up every morning asking myself, what the fuck is wrong with you? Get it together. And would like go down to the kitchen and sort of hold up if I open the second bottle, bottle number two with like one eye closed to see how much was left in the bottle. Like that was not a happy time. And it was daily. Yeah. And just being honest with yourself, what it, what is happiness to you and how is drinking affecting it? And then how is it impacting your relationships, your relationship with your partner, with your kids, with your friends, your coworkers, like how is it impacting those relationships? Yeah. And it can be, it's okay if there is, you know, quote unquote, a drinking highlight within there. You know, I always said that like drinking highlights were maybe like 20% of my experience, but the low lights were 80%. So, you know, impacting your relationships, we all have that idea of us and our partner on vacation toasting. Yes. But I know a lot of my experience was feeling resentment and irritation towards my husband, him feeling like I was really closed off and distant in the mornings. Um, A lot of like not telling him what I was thinking and feeling because I didn't want him to know how worried I was about my drinking. Um, What about you? What about your relationships when you were drinking? Well, when I was drinking, I mean, my kids got to the point where they didn't want me to drink anymore. And so it was difficult for them to be around me. Well, it was actually really difficult when I started talking more about changing my drinking around them and taking breaks around them. And then as one does, I'd go back to drinking. (laughs) And so that was hard for them to see. Um, it was hard on my marriage, uh, just really just being checked out. I was just really checked out at night. I wouldn't remember what we talked about the next day. Um, I, I wasn't the best mother, the best wife, uh, not that anyone's perfect, but just the act of simply removing the alcohol really improved my marriage. Nothing else changed. We didn't go to counseling. I mean, we were at a point in our marriage where I was like, to in my head, always like, just like, I don't know if I'll stay with him. I'll wait till the kids are gone or just having this drunk dialogue in my head, just getting really annoyed at him and just resentful and everything. How that like virtually went away once I stopped drinking. And we didn't like talk about that consciously. It just went away. It just became easier. Parenting became easier. So relationships are huge. Yeah. And, you know, just try it if you're wondering if that'll happen. Like a lot of, I mean, that was my experience as well. And that's not to say there's not a bumpy time of sort of recalibration in your relationship, Uh but 
um, you know, when women come to me and they're like, yeah, my husband's this and my kids are this and I hate my job and my boss is a nightmare. I'm like, okay, let's remove the alcohol. That may all be true, but that also may not be true. Like, let's get rid of the drinking and kind of see where the dust settles. And a lot of times, and I know for me, I could handle everything else so much better. And also like my husband was a lot more loving and kind and attentive to me when I wasn't, you know, kind of checked out on the couch or hung over in the morning. Like, I don't know if he always said super loving things to me, but I certainly noticed them and absorbed them more um, once I felt better about myself. I think that's it too. Like, it's just... You can't underestimate the amount of like confidence and pride that you have in finally doing something that you said you were going to do, living according to your values, like we talked about. Like, just that comes shining through, and and it can't help but like rub off on other people and make them more receptive to you too. Yeah, that's great. Oh, so that that's a good lead into the next question, which is how is drinking alcohol getting in the way of my life? Yeah. Was it getting in the way of your life? I I think it just wasn't adding anything to it. My brother actually recently had him on my show. He quit drinking. He just celebrated his year. Um, I know, which is just great. I mean, talk about influencing other people and we influenced each other, but he had a really good description and he called drinking just like a virus. It's not going to kill you. It's just going to make you just, just low grade shitty. Yeah. Like it's not, I mean, even maybe shitty is a bad word for it, but like just kind of just there. Just going through the motion. <laughs> I think it's a pretty accurate word. I mean, I love when you said, um, you know, like a low grade virus that just kind of um, pulls yeah. you down. I did an episode on sober celebrities, and some of the stuff that just kept coming up was, you know, some of these really famous people kind of asking, what percent of my potential? do I want to live at? Like, is 50% of my potential okay? Or do I actually want more? And, you know, I think Bradley Cooper, I think that saying that one was um, John Mayer, but Bradley Cooper said, you know, I just knew that if I kept drinking, I would never live up to my potential. And that scared the shit out of me. You know, Um, he thinks he wouldn't have had, you know, 5% of the success he'd had if he was drinking. And I think, you know, in terms of alcohol getting in the way of your life, um, Claire Pooley, who wrote the sober diaries, like expressed it in a way that, that really resonated with me because I think a lot of women listening to this may not have quote unquote done things that are that bad. I mean, I didn't feel like I, you know, I would describe it like, Oh, I'm only hurting myself. You know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. sounds crazy. Like I'm still a good mom. I'm still a good wife. I'm still doing it. I'm not letting down my colleagues or my boss, but you are kind of operating at half power constantly, whether you're drinking or hungover. And Claire Pooley said, it wasn't so much the things I did when I was drinking that I regret. It was all of those nights and weeks and months slipping through my fingers. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw Jane Fonda quit drinking too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, I don't have that much time left and I don't want to be at half mass. Oh my God. Half mast. I read that too. That was the perfect description. I mean, that's why I love coaching women who are super high achieving despite drinking way too much and struggling with it because I feel like, you know, you're just navigating your life and running a marathon with a ball and chain tied to your ankle. And oh my God, if you cut that off, you could do anything. Yeah. And I think why I didn't, um, why I was like poo-pooing the word shitty before is because I think a lot of people are like, but my life's pretty good. Like I'm married, I'm a director at work, I'm all of this. And they're kind of using that to justify their drinking, but also not, it isn't until you remove the alcohol that you realize how much it was clouding. Yeah, I know. I know. I think, um, I think you're right. I'm actually really, really glad you said that because I think shitty was how I felt. And I was just like, I just felt shitty. Um, but my life was pretty good. And I sat there and saying, why am I not happy? Why can I not cope with my life despite having a good job and a beautiful house and nice kids and a good husband and money and, you know, all the things that should make me happy. I'm, you know, I'm so blessed. I'm so lucky. Why do I feel shitty? And it's the alcohol. Absolutely. I think that's key. Um, And like you said, if you don't know, just take a break. See if removing it improves your life. This is a good one. How can I take more responsibility for what I think, for what I feel, and for what I do related to drinking? Tell me what you are thinking when you say that. Well, I I like the responsibility part. So, you know, earlier we were talking about alcohol and alcohol marketing and how <laughs> I'm not talking about drink responsibility or that plan yeah. or that yeah. organization. Gotcha. But what I'm saying is like, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Yes. And so recognizing that, yes, alcohol is bad for you. Culturally, it is, it's um, just integrated culturally, but ultimately it is up to you to change your drinking and, and it is up to you to take responsibility for that. So that's what that means. To oh, me. I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, al- big alcohol being shitty is totally separate. You are the only one who can decide that this is not good enough for you. And, you know, that's not to say that you can do it alone or you don't need support or you need to do it alone. But that is to say, like, it's it's up to you to reach out for help and to do things like listening to this podcast and to get educated and to do this exercise to go through these questions and to actually journal them out like you deserve that. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes is like the inverse Spider-Man quote from um, Mark. What is his name? He wrote The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Mm -hmm. But the Spider-Man quote is with with great power comes great responsibility. But the inverse is with responsibility comes great power. And Mm -hmm. so 
That's why I find it like so empowering. Okay. I've never heard that before. And I love that. Okay. So with responsibility comes great power. Is that right? Yes. Love it. Love it. I mean, that's one of the reasons AA doesn't resonate with me because I feel empowered. Like I'm going to take responsibility for this. Like I have power over alcohol and what I choose to put in my body. Yeah. You have power by choosing not to consume it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah. So that's a really good question. Um, Another just great general question is how will I make today better than yesterday? Yeah, that's a great one. And that's just focusing on the future. You know, we get kind of tied up like counting days and, oh, shoot, I slipped again. Just, you know, move on. How can yeah. I make today better than yesterday? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the idea of just focus on today. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of one day at a time because I feel like you get stronger every day you move away from from drinking and you get more tools. And so I don't feel like you're as vulnerable on day two as you are on day 102. But I do think that just dealing with today and just being like, how can I take care of myself today? And what, what can I do today? You know, yesterday's in the past. I love that. Yeah. And along those lines of it, how can I take care of myself is like, what can I do to feel my emotions instead of drinking at them today? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one of the big realizations is that um, your emotions pass and they don't kill you. I mean, I used to drink every time I was annoyed at my husband or used to drink every time I was frustrated at work. And the first time when I wasn't drinking, when I had this huge sort of anger, irritation, resentment, disappointment, I, it cried and was pissed and complained to my girlfriend and then, you know, rage gardened in my vegetable garden and then it passed. <laughs> And so it went from like five o'clock to seven o'clock. And then I was like, oh my God, let me sit down and watch a show. Like I was like, this is incredible. Oh, I, I think when you can learn to sit with your emotions and move through them, you become so powerful. You can do anything. Because if the worst thing that's going to happen to you is you feel fear or you feel anxiety and you know that feeling's not going to last. I mean, you can do anything. I can do anything. I can make it through any feeling and be okay. Yeah. And I usually say, and I know we have two more to go through, so we need to get through them. But the one thing I would say is that any emotion that you are trying not to feel, it's just like a canary in a coal mine. It's just like information that something needs to be addressed that has Mm -hmm. not been addressed yet. It's just information that you need something that you aren't getting. So you can feel an emotion and not stuff it down and not suppress it and just be like, all right, what do I need that I'm not getting? Or what boundary do I need to put down? I mean, your feelings are clues. Yeah. So good. So good. Well, the last two are really just about accepting yourself and learning to love yourself. Um, so, so one is if you loved yourself fully, how would you treat yourself every day? And what's one small way you can start doing that today? Yeah, I love that. And that, 
Yeah, because if I mean, we think about all especially being women and all these people we take care of and our children and those that we love and, you know, just really working on that self-compassion and that accepting of ourselves as we are, not as we would think we should be. I mean, that's key. You just, you know, you, you can't hate yourself out of this. Yeah. You can't. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. And so one small. Yeah. And so then one thing along those lines, one question along those lines is what is one kind statement you feel comfortable saying to yourself when you need support? Mm -hmm. And do you have one that you use? What I say a lot to myself is like, I'm okay. Or what I end up doing actually is... And what I recommend for people too, when they're going through a tough time is, is to just add I'm okay, or it's okay to the end of their statement. Like I got in a fight with my husband and I'm okay. Or I got in a fight with my husband and that's okay. I like that. Because that, that happens and it just kind of softens it. Yeah, it definitely softens it. Okay. I love that. And I think that's the perfect place to end this. Um, I have gotten so much out of this conversation. I love the questions, but I also love that you let me ask you some questions as a nurse, as someone who has quit drinking, as someone who works with people who are stopping drinking, because that also is an area that I'm super interested in. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing that expertise. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I I <laughs> I could talk about it all day, obviously, right? We have to put a time limit on it. Yeah, that's awesome. So you can go to my website to this episode and get all of those questions so you can work through them. And Deb, I know that people listening to this podcast are going to want to follow up with you. They're going to want to learn more about the work you do and the resources you have. So can you tell us how people can get in touch with you and follow you? Yeah, thanks, Casey. I have alcohol tipping points. So I have a podcast of the same name. I have a website, alcoholtippingpoint.com. I actually have a, a free resource that has a hundred questions to change your drinking. And originally we never would have gone through all 100. So Casey and I pared it down to 20. Um, but I have lots of free resources there and I run dry months. I call them alcoholidays because I do feel like it's it's a gift and it it should be joyful. There should be some something um positive about it. So and, and my thing is just helping people practice not drinking. I love that. And um thank you so much. I love the work you do. Um definitely have a listen to the um, podcast with Deb. And thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Casey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. 
Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.